0: We are praying in our cycle of prayers. There's eight things we pray for, for the church. And today it happens to be on families. And so those of you who are able to kneel, I invite you to kneel with me. Those of you who cannot, please bow your heads as we pray. Father in heaven, We bow our heads before you. You are holy and you are wonderful. And you have created family. And you've created the the human race and we're all interconnected in different wonderful and exciting ways. And Lord, we want to pray for the families that are represented here. We pray that you will be with the parents that they will love and respect each other, and they will treat each other with kindness, and that they will truly appreciate one another. We pray for the children, that they will be raised in environments that are wholesome and healthy, and that you, Lord, will be powerful on behalf of the family, and you will keep families intact. Lord, we pray for the church family and ask your blessing be upon us. May we be used by You to do great and marvelous things. Lord, we are about to open Your Word, and we pray that You will teach us and that You will be powerful in our midst. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How strong is God. How big is God? Well, we can't get there. How strong is God? We really can't get there either. But we think in terms of Him holding up the universe. We think in terms of Him speaking in the world beginning. We think in terms of Him being just extremely powerful beyond anything we can imagine. The God who holds the space together, the God who inhabits His universe, how strong is He in our lives? You see, we may have a concept of God being almighty in the big things, but is He almighty in the little things? In particular, in the family in the relationships in the family. Is God there? Now today we're going to have a sermon about that taken from the life of Moses. And we're going to learn some biblical principles of how to function in a family. This is one story in the Bible. And one story doesn't tell everything. I'm going to tell you up front that we're going to discover the importance of letting God be powerful in our relationships in the family however I want to be clearly understood that I am not a subscriber to the philosophy that is you pray and take it that is not biblical listen folks God refuses to live with Satan. You don't have to either. So we're not talking about living in a home with Satan. We're talking about living in a home with people who are imperfect. People who are trying to serve God on some level people who do care about each other but because of the stress and pains of life they don't always treat each other the best way and these situations are common to all of us because we're human so how powerful is God in our lives to work through those things Let's turn to Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers chapter 12, we have a story that lasts 16 verses. So I'm going to read the entire story with you and then we'll back up and learn what we can learn. If you do not have your Bibles with you, please follow along on the screen. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he seized the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit on her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and after that she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey on till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward the people moved on from Hazeroth. Encamped in the wilderness of Parin. well that's the story. The main characters of the story are introduced to us in verse one. Let's look at that. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman Miriam. Miriam is first introduced to us in the Bible in a story that took place in Exodus chapter 2. Though she's not mentioned by name, it is understood by most scholars that it was Miriam who was there when Moses as a baby was placed in the little ark covered with pitch and set afloat there in the reeds along the Nile. And when the daughter of Pharaoh saw the little basket boat and asked one of her attendants to get it and saw the beautiful baby recognizing it must be a Hebrew baby it was Miriam that came forward and asked would you like me to find a Hebrew nursemaid for you we find her again mentioned in Exodus 15 let's go there Exodus 15 and verse 20 Exodus chapter 15 is a song of victory, a song of deliverance. The Israelites have just gone through the Red Sea. God has delivered them, and they're on the shore and they're praising to God. They're singing a song. It's interesting, Revelation 15 is the same scenario. It's called the Song of Moses. So we have the Song of Moses in Exodus 15. And after they're done singing, we come to verse 20. And this is what we read. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. So this is what we know about Miriam. She's the older sister of Moses. It's possible she's the older sister of Aaron as well. She is called in the Bible a prophetess if you're wondering what that is that is a female prophet she's a prophetess so this woman is a prophetess now we go back to numbers chapter 12 verse 1 we have Miriam the older sister who is a prophetess and we have Aaron he also is an older brother of Moses and We've had many stories with him thus far in our journey with Moses. Aaron was with Moses when they confronted Pharaoh. Aaron has been with Moses through all of these things. And even when the battle was taking place on the plain, it was her and Aaron that came and held up the arms of Moses so the rod of God could remain in the position that was up. And victory was given to the Israelites. We discover in Exodus 28, verse 1, the beginning of a process, and let's let's go there, where it says, now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest." And the next few chapters go on to describe what Aaron is to wear, what the symbolism of it is. And how he's supposed to function he was the designated high priest of the nation of Israel so you have two big hitters you have a prophetess and you have the high priest of the nation and they in numbers 12 verse 1 spoke against Moses why Well, it tells us why, but it's not what we think it is. In verse 1 it says, They spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now it appears that the reason of their discontent was Moses' wife. How many of you know, before you answer this question, how many of you know? It's a trick. How many of you know the name of this woman? All right. How many of you say Zipporah? Ah, you're wrong. (laughs) Zipporah was not an Ethiopian. She was a Midianite. Apparently she has died, and Moses has married again. So this is a new wife and they're upset about it. And that becomes the catalyst for this criticism, but that's not the issue. Behind the scenes, there was an underlying issue. I remember one Saturday night listening to the Prairie Home Companion on the radio, and Garrison Keeler is describing a husband and a wife driving down a road, they were headed somewhere, and the wife was not in a very good mood, And uh, Garrison Keillor can tell a story probably as well as anybody that's ever told a story. And so he's describing the guy driving and the wife over here. And she asks him a question and he answers. And the answer triggered a barrage of stuff that had been building up. And Keillor says she'd been waiting for the right moment well that's kind of what's going on here the marriage the wedding becomes the catalyst but the real issue is something else let's look at verse 1 again then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married for he had married an Ethiopian woman to speak against is to criticize to examine and judge to find fault Now, there's confusion in the Bible about judging because the word judge means different things judge can mean condemnation judge can mean to bring wrath upon someone judge can mean using discernment to determine right and wrong justice and injustice. And so as believers, we get confused sometimes, because we read in the Bible that we should not judge one another, and we all subscribe to that. But let me ask you something. If someone breaks into my house, and they steal something, and I call them a thief, am I judging them? No, I'm just saying what they are. That's not judging. Now, in this instance where they are being critical of Moses, they are judging him in this sense. This is the unbiblical sense. In order for me to judge another person, I have to consider myself greater than them a higher authority on some level or I have no right to judge them at all and so they have presented themselves in a position where they have the right to be critical and condemning of another human being and God's not gonna buy that they're not in that position and that is not being biblical They have an evil spirit of condemnation among them. Evil speech associated with it. Well, we read on in verse 2. Then they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? There's your issue. It's a power struggle. One's a prophetess and one's the high priest, but that's not good enough. Moses has more leadership over this process than we do and they were jealous of that and so they were seeking to find fault I'm sure it has never happened to you that in the workplace you have your associates and somebody's promoted ahead of you I'm sure you've never ever ever even thought an evil thought well we all have we all fall into that category because we're human and we have a sinful nature and we know inside our hearts why we are more deserving than them. So they're angry. The woman in that wedding is the catalyst. This is an underlying issue, an issue of authority. And in verse 2, we have a very, very telling phrase. Right at the end, it says... And the Lord heard it. The Lord hears it. The Lord hears everything we say. The Lord hears everything that is said to us. And folks, when it comes right down to it, the whole purpose of this book is to teach us how to get back to God, how to love God, and how to love one another. God knows the change has taken place in our heart called conversion when we begin to love other people. How we treat other people is the acid test to God. Someone was talking to me earlier today And they said, you know, Pastor, we have emphasized so many things down through the years, but somehow we've missed it. And they started describing things that had been emphasized in their life, everything from diet to dress to entertainment and so forth and so on. Bottom line, how do we treat other people? Let me ask you, how many of you think God was impressed with the Jewish leaders' concern about keeping the Sabbath on the Friday they were killing his son. So, God hears it. Now, the next verse is very interesting. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who are on the face of the earth. Who wrote that? You know, some people use that as an excuse to say, well, Moses didn't write all that he wrote. And others say, how could, how could an individual write that about themselves? Well, let me share with you. Moses did write that. But how can somebody identify themselves as being more humble than all the men who are on the face of the earth? What comes to my mind is the story of a county who decided to have a contest and they would issue the award at the yearly county fair. And the contest was the most humble person in the county would would receive an award. And so they took, you know, votes from everybody and it, it settled down on one individual. And they asked that individual to come And and when that individual came, they announced that he was voted the most humble man in the county. And he was applauded and everybody thought it was wonderful. They gave him the award and the minute he accepted it, they took it back. (laughs) How can you be so humble? Well, what does Moses mean by it? Here's what Moses means. God has spoken to me, Moses could say. I have seen the form of God, God showed me his back, and God has been merciful to me above all people on the earth. I am the most unworthy person on the planet to receive any of God's benefits. It's like the Apostle Paul saying, regarding sinners, I am the chief of sinners. Moses is saying, I don't deserve all that God has done for me. He has done more for me than he has any other person on earth. And that's the posture of someone whose sins have been forgiven. So Moses can say that and he can mean it. But here's in practical application what he is saying I'm going to leave it up to God. My brother and sister are critical of me. They're critical of my wife. I'm going to leave it up to God. God is big enough to run the universe. God is big enough to defend me. I will pray about it. I'm not going to react. I'm going to pray about it and let God be God for me. Now, folks, when it comes to relationships... We're going to get on each other's nerves, and, and that happens. Let me give an example. This person over here says something about this person. They're all in the same family, so there might be a history of it. This person is going to be tempted to say something back, say it firm enough, strong enough that it quiets this one down, and even say a little more so that it puts this one in their place. And on it accelerates. If this one decides not to respond, there's another way to get at him. And that's to draw this one in and to draw this one in and to draw this one in and start start the whole thing. And how many families are a living Hades because of that going on? So what Moses did is he gave it to God. Moses even wrote it in the story. God heard it. And so Moses prayed about it and God confronted Miriam and Aaron with their hearts. How much better would our homes be if instead of reacting, we prayed and we let God work on the hearts of the people in our families. And then should they come and apologize, folks, that is true apology. That is not just being convicted that that they were out of or they were wrong in this situation it is a deeper thing and with it if it's true repentance will come a prayer to god that they not do that anymore and the behavior discontinues now here's the balance that i want to give you a person who is in an abusive environment where they're just being slammed verbally They're being slammed physically and other ways that we could describe. But this is a family program. If they're in that environment, listen, the Bible does not say just pray and take it. Get out of there. Get help. Call us. We'll do what we can to help you. Now, so what does God do? God confronts them and God punishes Miriam because she apparently is the leader. Do you know know how the story of Miriam ends? She gets healed of the leprosy here. We don't read anything else about her until we come to chapter 20. Chapter 20 and verse 1. Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Doesn't say anything about them mourning her. Doesn't say anything at all. She died. She was buried. She wanted to be the leader. She was pushing it in an unholy way. She ended up with leprosy. Alone, isolated, nobody to lead. She got healed of that. And when she dies, she died. She was buried. No celebration about her at all. It is a serious thing how we treat one another in the family. Family is a strange dynamic. You hear sayings like, can't live with them, can't live without them. My wife has a saying. She says, sure, blood is thicker than water, but water is a lot easier to drink. Could it be that God has given us a family so that in the context of that experience, we can learn to forgive people? who are so much like us we can't stand what we see? Could it be that God has given us a family so that we learn to forgive people who have hurt us? Where we take extra effort and prayer to walk with God so that we don't offend other people and we're careful how we respond when we are offended. Could it be that family is a gift to us from God to strengthen our characters and to develop within us an appreciation for other human beings. An appreciation that as we age will only grow. I grew up in a home where. When there were five kids, when we turned 18, we were expected to leave. What, what are you still doing here? You're 18. So I left when I was 17. But I married a, a woman who grew up in a family that was very close. Not that mine is distant, just different. and I have learned the value of that closeness now the devil is against close families the devil is against us getting along the devil is against you going home today and celebrating the goodness of God together with a Sabbath meal and playing with children or grandchildren or, or talking with your adult children or uh, being with your spouse or being with a cousin or a friend. The devil's against that. But it's those wholesome environments that give us what we need to function in a world that is careening, down into evil. There's that old gospel song, if we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. Folks, that applies to family too. If we ever needed our families before, we sure do need them now. So here's where I'm at. I feel a great need to ask God for forgiveness for some of the things I've said and done. And I also feel a great need to ask God for His grace to be in my life so that I can appreciate and demonstrate appreciation to the members of my family. And maybe you kind of feel the same way. And if you do, if you would like to say to the Lord, you want forgiveness. And if you want to say to the Lord, you want His grace, then I'm going to invite you to stand. Father in heaven, thank you that you have promised us forgiveness of our sins. We praise you for that. And Lord, we ask by your grace that we won't continue in those sins, that we will indeed be appreciative, caring, kind, patient, and loving towards our family. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.